you will join me in your Bibles this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5. So as we've been studying on the church, we're going to continue that study probably just a few more weeks and we will uh, conclude our our journey of understanding what the church's purpose is. And um, I appreciate Michael's announcements this this morning about spiritual gifts. We encourage you to partake or participate in that by identifying your spiritual gift. And then also, um, if you know someone else in the church that is gifted, that you would identify their gift by marking a a little piece of paper with their name on it and then putting it in one of those or several of those categories. Uh, Take a moment as well to go back there and look and see where where you've been identified as being gifted. Uh, It's encouraging, amen, to see uh, where somebody sees a gift in you that maybe you don't see in yourself or um, perhaps you uh, have never thought about that being a gift in your life. Look on that board and, and see where you're at, okay, all right. So we're gonna read the text here and then we will uh, exposit some thoughts here about the um, offices that are in the church. In verse one, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Lord, please be with your word today. We pray that you would help us to learn and to grow. Um, We know that these are some basic truths that are for the most part understood by, uh, by most of the congregation, but Lord, perhaps a reminder and a refresher of where we should be as a church that we might grow in glorifying you. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name, amen. We want to be mindful of the fact that when God organized the world, he organized the world with structure. And he put that structure together for the benefit and the blessing of the world. And whether it be the family or the government um, that he put into place to bring that structure into the New Testament, he he gave us the church. He's always functioned and, and uh, ordered things in an orderly way, as a, a really as a re- revelation of his nature. Everything that God does is a revealing of something about his nature. And so when we look at the church and the structure that's laid out, we can go back into Genesis and see the structure that was laid out in the garden. We can see the uh, Hebrew people in the Old Testament and the structure that was laid out for, for them um, all throughout the, um, the books of the law, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We can see all of these things laid out as a display of God's character. I've often had people say the, some of the hardest books in the Bible to read or to understand is, is Leviticus. 
and uh, I don't want to read Leviticus as my daily devotional life, and, and I understand that, and, and as I have um, studied it, it's very difficult, and, and uh, there's a lot in there, and some of it is confusing, but one thing that the Lord, uh, I think, I don't know, showed me, opened my eyes to many years ago was that the book of Leviticus is the revealing of God's character. It is a display of his, of his nature, of his holiness, of his perfections. It, it, is meant not to, it is meant not to elevate man to a state where they can fulfill all of the requirements of that book, but it's meant to elevate God to a point where we see him as being extraordinarily holy and, 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 and amazingly pure and righteous and, and perfect in, other, in every way. We see him as being significant. And, and yes, we see ourselves as being uh, broken and fallen and, and insignificant and incapable so that as we come to the realization of who we are, right, uh, uh, unable of doing anything that is good, we come to the recognition of who God is, unaccepting of anything that is not good, we then run as fast and as hard as we can to whom? to Jesus Christ, the one who is capable of granting us as a free gift his righteousness so that we can now stand in the presence of a most perfect and holy God, a, 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 a God who gave us the commandments and the law and holds us perfectly to those things that we can run to him and we can find grace and mercy and strength and help in difficult times. We can find salvation. We can find deliverance. God has organized and structured everything from the beginning of time to the end of time, revealed to us in Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, so that we might know his nature revealed to us in his word and know his order that we should be functioning under as we work to reveal or manifest his character today. Remember this. God gave us the family in Genesis 1 to represent him in his character, okay? The family didn't do a great job of it, did it? Adam and Eve fell into sin. The, 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 kids, tried, the kids killed each other. Problems of revealing God's character. God gave the law or the government to the Hebrew people to reveal the character of God. They didn't do a very good job of that either, did they? God has given us the church today and the, and the church government and the family to continue to work to reveal God's character to manifest his glory. And so the, the structure of the church, the order of the church is important in order for us to properly manifest the will of God. I'm not gonna stand up here and say that sometimes the structure in the church is not difficult. And sometimes the structure, the order, the authority in the church and how it's set up and how it functions and how it does things isn't, isn't difficult. But I'm here to tell you that there is a structure that God has laid out and there's a way in which that structure is to be, is to be carried out that is very glorifying to God and very revealing of his character. It's like people say, have you ever heard somebody say, I love Jesus, but I hate religion? Has anybody, anybody in here ever heard that said before? Okay, good. Right. I'm not the only one, and I'm sure that there are others as well. They don't mean that. 
Because James 1 says that pure religion, right religion, true religion is undefiled. It's not, it's, it's, it's helping the, the widows and the, and the orphans. It's, it's not being spotted by the world. We would all say that we like that religion, right? The problem isn't that we don't like religion. The problem is that we don't like what religion has become, and in the same way in the church, it's not, that, it's not that organized, structured authority is bad. It's what organized, structured authority has become. We have to get back to where we are structured and ordered in the way that God wants us to be structured and ordered. And then the authority in the church and the, and the, and the format that God lays forth becomes a very healthy thing and not an unhealthy thing. It becomes a very safe thing and not a fearful thing. It becomes a pure thing and not a dangerous thing. People should function in the body of Christ not from fear of being condemned, but out of love for the Lord and his church. And that's what the, that's what the structure, that's what the authority in the church has been given to us for. So with that... I'm going, to, I'm going to work through some thoughts about the offices in the church, and I'm just going to give you some thoughts on those. If you're taking notes, it will, um, you can take this home and think over it, okay? The first thing that I want you to understand in introduction is that there is a distinction between offices in the church and, and gifts. We just got done studying spiritual gifts oftentimes people connect the two. They say that spiritual gifts and offices in, church, in the church are the same thing. And when they do that, what they do is they strip away certain gifts from certain people who are not allowed to be in offices in the church but are allowed to have the gifts. The, the gifts and the offices are two different things. They are, they are distinct. The, the offices are, or the gifts, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, are those things that the Holy Spirit works through us to accomplish his will and his work. The offices are positions that we are placed into in which we can do that work or minister for the Lord. Combining these gifts, combining these gifts with offices again will limit the use of these gifts, will often limit the people who can have these gifts. Now, we also want to remember that some gifts are very close, closely associated with offices in the church. Teaching, shepherding, preaching, leading are often associated with eldership, right? The question is, are there people who are not elders who have the gift of teaching, shepherding, preaching, and leading? Are there people who have these gifts that are not in the office that is there? I would argue with you, I would argue the point that yes, there are. That there are many people who are gifted in these ways that are not in these offices. Compassion, administration, helping hands are often associated with deacons. But does that mean that if you have these, if you aren't a deacon, that you can't have these gifts? And again, I would argue no. All elders are teaching, shepherding leaders. All teachers are shepherding, but all deacons are compassionate, helpful hands. 
All teaching, shepherding leaders are not elders. And all compassionate, helping hands are not deacons. These are offices in the church that that need to be filled and need to fulfill their purpose and their role, but, but don't limit the gifts based upon the offices. Some pre-church offices that are no longer offices today would be in the Old Testament, you had prophets, you had judges, you had priests and kings in the Hebrew time, you had apostles in the time of the Gospels. These are offices that were carried out by men of God that they were called to But we want to remember this, that while these offices, we believe the office of prophet is done away with. The office of apostle has been done away with. The office of judge and king and priest, all of these things have been done away with. We are now priest because we have access to God on our own. However, at the same time, we come into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, and we start talking about spiritual gifts and we see some of these same terms used. Like a prophet, the gift of prophet, prophecy, the gift of the apostle. We see these gifts and we have to make the distinction between the gift and the office because they are different things. The prophet was an office in the Old Testament. It is a spiritual gift in the New Testament. Apostle was an office in the Old Testament or in the Gospels. It is a gift in the New Testament. Prophets, priests, and kings, or priests, kings, and judges were offices in the Old Testament that are not gifts or not mentioned as gifts in the New Testament. So, we get into the main crux of our sermon this morning. What are offices in the church? There are two offices in the church, church offices defined. Number one is an elder. An elder comes from the Greek word presbuteros. It just comes from the, well, we get our English word presbyter from it. It's the idea of a hierarchy in the church, an elder or a minister in the the Christian religion or in the Christian church. The term in the Greek can refer to age. It can refer to somebody who is older or elderly, but it also refers to somebody who is of, of rank or office. The word means to reside over, care for, or represent. In the scriptures, an elder is also referred to as a shepherd, a bishop. Uh, Some people like to call a pastor or an elder an under-shepherd, not a shepherd, but an under-shepherd. And the reason for that is, is we know that that Jesus Christ is the shepherd, uh, the chief shepherd. He is the the good shepherd in John 10. In, In Psalm 23, he is our shepherd, So in the Bible, the shepherd or the elders are referred to as shepherds, bishops, pastors, and overseers. And these are terms that are given to the concept of eldership. And again, Psalm 23 gives us the idea of what our role is and John 10 as well. In regards to elders, Paul talks uh, to Titus in Titus 1 and verse number 5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. In other words, the church in Crete, there was some things that were 
organized. They were disorganized. And, and Paul says, I want you to put those things that were disorganized into order. And how I want you to do that is by appointing elders in every town as I have directed you. So the elders were appointed to bring order, to bring structure to the body of Christ. Acts 14, 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So elders, again, shepherds, bishops, pastors, overseers were commissioned to bring order and structure to the body of Christ, to the church. Okay? In a very similar way to husbands being commissioned to bringing order to the home, and to being overseers of the home. Now, I'm going to give you some principles here that are very applicable to both, to both husbands and, and leaders in the church. There's a, there's a compassion, there's a, a servant-like attitude that comes along with being in those positions. The, the best husbands in the world are those who have figured it out, Right? I get some amens from some ladies on that one, right? The best husbands in the world are those who have figured out how to lead with compassion. They figured out how to listen to their wives. They figured out how to, to not always be pushy or, or trying to get their way, but they're, but they're sacrificial to their wives, right? Um, uh, Ephesians 5, the husband is to be like Jesus and give his life for the church, there's so many scenarios and connections to spiritual leadership in the body of Christ to the relationship of a husband and a wife. God has put men in the church as, as elders for the purpose of bringing structure and bringing order. But there's also some other characteristics that come along with that. The second office in the church is the office of a deacon, Okay, and a deacon is, the word means in the Greek, to, in the English too, to serve, to be a servant, to be an attendant, to minister to, or to take care of. The deacons were commissioned in, in Acts chapter 6 to um, really to care for the needs of the body in a physical way. Um, in that case specifically, there was tables that weren't being served and people that weren't being taken care of, widows that weren't being properly and effectively cared for. And the elders were having to do those responsibilities and weren't giving themselves to the study of God's word and to prayer. The Lord says, set some men aside for this role so that they can care for these needs so that the elders can be focused on the needs that they have been called to. This is the role of a deacon in the church. This term is commonly used in scripture when describing ministering to the needs of others or serving someone by supplying their need. A deacon would be like somebody, if somebody came to your house and says, hey, I need bread, and you gave them bread, you would be performing the role of a deacon. You would be caring for that person's need. So somebody comes in the church and says, I have the need for this or that. The deacon's responsibility is to care for that need as much as, is, um, as, much as they are able within the church structure and as much as would be healthy for the situation at hand. 
Matthew 4 and verse 11, when Jesus Christ has been, has spent um, 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, the Bible says that the angels of the Lord, they came and they deaconed to the Lord. It's the same Greek word there that they, they cared for, they ministered to the Lord. They cared for his needs. Okay, so you can kind of get a picture of it in your mind. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's been fasting all of this time. The devil comes and tempts him. We know the story. Jesus Christ overcomes those temptations. And then the Lord sends angels down from heaven to be deacons to the Lord, to minister to their needs. This is an office that has been commissioned by the Lord for the church. Matthew 20 and verse number 28, Jesus came to minister or to be a deacon to his, to his, to his people, to his church. And then in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40, also repeated in, in John 11, when Martha was working, you remember Martha was laboring in the, in the house? She was cumbered down with much work. This is the word deacon. She was laboring to care for the needs of the event. I think sometimes we minimize what Martha, we minimize what Martha was doing because we compare it to what Mary was doing. But what Martha was doing was Martha was caring for the needs of the people who were there. She was being a deacon. So the, um, the two offices that we see in the New Testament, um, also found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, are the office of elder and the office of deacon. Now we want to also remember and note that within these offices are lots of different spiritual gifts. It's not an office has a spiritual gift. You might have a deacon that is gifted in um, one way or an elder that's gifted in one way that's not gifted in other ways. You might have an outreach elder. You, you might have an elder that's an elder of the compassion group. You might have a teaching pastor who, who is gifted in, uh, strongly gifted in communication. It, it's not one gift for that office. It's a, a variety of gifts in those offices. So that's the definition of these, of these different offices in the church. The commissioning of these offices, the difference between, one of the differences between the office and the spiritual gifting is the gifting is the Holy Spirit of God working through an individual while the office is something that God calls a person to. God commissions a person to fulfill a, an office in the church, a position um, of service and authority within the church to minister to the people of the Lord. It's, it's, it's like a, a calling on your life. You've, maybe you've heard somebody say, well, I have this calling on my life. And that's what an office is. The Lord calls us into these offices. And in the church, you have people called into the office of elder and deacon. I believe that there are other offices that are called to that are not in the church, like a missionary, I think, is an office that, we're called, that are, people are called into. Um, uh, evangelists are, are, are offices that are, but they're not specifically in the church. The main offices in the church are those of, of deacon and those of elder. And, the, and the, that calling on your life is a, a desire, um, 1 Timothy 3 it's a desire to serve the body of Christ in that way. That's really how the, Lord, how the Lord calls people into it. It's a desire to do those things. We want to remember this. I, I remember as a young person growing up, I, um, 
I had a desire to be a pastor, a desire to minister the, the, uh, the gospel to people. I had that desire. And I initially, as I, when I graduated from high school, I went to business college and I got a degree in, in business finance. And I really didn't want to do that. I, I wanted all my brothers and my dad were all pastors. And I kind of wanted to kind of like, you know, they're all doing that. I want to do this over here. And so I, so I strive to be successful in the world's mindset. And what I found was there was always this burning desire in my heart. There was, always this, there was always this unsettledness inside of me that was like, okay, you're doing this, but this is what I want you to be doing. And that unsettledness kept driving me back to what God had, what I believe what God had called me to do, the position that God had called me to be in. And my dad always had a philosophy. He said, if you can do something else, if you can do something else beside pastoring and be completely satisfied and happy in doing it and have no desire to be pastoring, he said, then do it because you're probably not called to be a pastor. The idea that he was trying to present was is when you're called to do these things, there isn't a, there isn't a the Spirit of God isn't going to release you. There's gonna be a passion for it inside of you. And not only a passion, but if you go to 1 Timothy 3, don't turn there, but, but look at it in your own time. The Lord says, a man that desires the office of a bishop, the word bishop there is, carries the similar idea to elder. He desires a good thing. And this simply means that his, it's not an unhealthy desire. People think of this like um, just passion for authority or passion for position or whatever. It's not that unhealthy desire. It's a, it's a person who has committed themselves to the fact that God has called them to do that, understands the responsibility that is, that is in that that they're being called to and has a willingness to prepare themselves to accomplish the task that God had called them to do. It's not, a, it's not just a, a, a desire, but it's a, a willingness to work at something, to, to become ready for that work. This, these gifts, these, these callings are, are met with, are confirmed by a willingness to prepare yourself to serve in these roles, okay? And it's also met by a confirmation by other people. Um, Paul talked about laying hands on people, and he talks about don't lay your hands on someone quickly, or don't, don't affirm someone quickly into an office in the church, because then you bear the responsibility of putting them into that office. So the office of a church, the calling that God puts on a person's life, whether it be deacon or elder or, or some other maybe external role, um, that it's confirmed by people who are around them. By Again, in, in the biblical times, it was the laying on of hands where they affirmed those offices. But in, in our day and age, we don't do that. But, but people around you are just confirming that you would make a good pastor or you'd make a good elder or you'd make a good deacon or people are signing you up for it and you're not signing yourself up for it. I've often said this and I've, and I've, found, it to be, and I've found it to be true from an experience perspective. I've been pastoring now for about 20 years, and I found this to be true. The people, when you ask for people who want to be leaders in the church that run to the front of the line are the ones that you don't want to be leaders in the church. It's true. And the people who humbly stay in the back of the line and, and, and wait and trust, I mean, where was David at when it was time to become king? Was he in the front of the line or the back of the line? That's right. And what you see is you see that biblical pattern. 
that those who drive to be in that position, those who strive to be in that role, are not looking to humbly serve God in those roles. And they become very dangerous because it becomes a power play for them. The people that you look for to be in leadership are the humble people that sit back and people say, you know something, Pastor John? I think you should think about this person because I see things in their life and it's not them at all. Our last church that we were at back in Nebraska, I would sit down with each one of the elders and I, I interviewed them. And every one of those elders would say to me, Pastor John, we do not feel qualified to be an elder. We'd go through the list of things. Every one of them would say, I could tell them 100% you're qualified to be an elder, but do you know how they viewed themselves? Not qualified. They were totally humbled by the responsibility. Any, anyone who looks at the requirements that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter number three and claims to be perfectly qualified doesn't need to be in a position of eldership because that person doesn't exist other than in Jesus Christ. What elders are is elders are people who are striving to be the best people that they possibly can be for the betterment of the church and for the glory of God. Amen. So when you, when you think about that position and what we went through again in Nebraska, it was, it was those people that were identified by other people as saying, this is a person I think that would be great as an elder, as a deacon, whatever. And we had to bring them in, totally willing to do whatever it took to accomplish the task, right? Desires the office of a bishop, totally willing, but yet not putting themselves out there as being the answer to all of the church's needs, amen? amen. There's no man who is the answer to all the church's needs. Jesus is that answer. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to, his, to this ministry or to his service. Romans 1 and verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He says that pretty much consistently throughout his letters. Paul was called to be an apostle. He was called to be in the, in the office that he was called to be in. And maybe the Lord has called you to be in an office in the church. And I'll always tell people this, if God has called you to be in an office, don't strive to be in that office, but strive to accomplish what God has called you to do. Did you know that you can do the work of an office without having the title of that office? Those are the people that you look for. You don't look for the people that are sitting there saying, let me in the office, let me in the office. You look for the people that are back here doing the work that is involved in that office. And then the Lord says, hey, Samuel, he's over here shepherding already, right? He's over here shepherding already. Yeah, you have seven other brothers that might be fit, but here's one that's already shepherding. Let's put him into an office and let him shepherd my people. It's a calling in our lives. It's not a gifting, it's a calling. The Holy Spirit of God calls us, he prepares us, he equips us, he humbles us so that we might accomplish that work. Church office's purpose is number three. What is the church, what are the purposes of the officers of the church? Number one is to unite the church. 
Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16, the apostle Paul talks about that he's given some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some elders and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that we might all come into the unity. And it goes on to describe it even in further in verses 14 down to verse number 16. One of the purposes of the, of the elders, of the leaders of the church, is to bring unity in the body of Christ. May I submit to you folks that many, in many cases, the leadership of the church brings the greatest division in the church. Here's what Jesus says in Zechariah 13 and verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of, of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So the emphasis is as long as the shepherd's there, right? It's referring to Jesus Christ. As long as the shepherd's there, the sheep will be what? The sheep will be unified. The sheep will be united. What Jesus knew is you remove the shepherd, you remove the elders, you remove the unity of the church. It's necessary that the elders be promoting and encouraging and striving for unity in the body of Christ. 2 Chronicles 18 and verse 16, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains. Jesus says, I saw all of my people scattered on the mountains as, as sheep who have no... So disunity is directly connected to the lack of shepherding or disunity is directly connected to the lack of proper shepherding. It's not always that there's a lack of a shepherd. It's sometimes that there is not right shepherding. Jesus says the, the burden of God's heart is he looks down from heaven and he sees his people scattered and, and he automatically points to whom? His burden is, his heart is, his passion is for all of his people that are scattered abroad and he assumes that there's no, there's no shepherd. There's no one there together to unify, to unite, to glorify me with the sheep. I need someone to bring unity to my body. This is what we're called to do as shepherds. If you're called into the position of eldership and we have three here at the church and we probably have others that are waiting or planning or preparing whatever God is working on your heart in that area, you're called to unify the body, to unite the body so that the body can function as, as one. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people, the people perish. The church offices are given to bring unity to the body of Christ. What, what a need that we have today in our churches. We need to be unified. We need leaders that unify. The second protect the, the second purpose of the church offices or leaders is to protect the church. He says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2 in our text, shepherd the flock of God that is amongst you, exercising oversight. And that word oversight, it carries with it the idea of a diligent watch, a, a looking over, an, an inspection of. It is, it is to keep danger out of the church uh, keep, uh, uh, I wrote down some things here in regards to oversight. It's to keep, it is to deal with conflict within the church. The Galatians talks about not biting and devouring each other. 
The, the leaders in the church are here to, to bring conflict resolution to each other. Um, we do counseling here at Grace Bible Church where we try to reconcile marriages and relationships and things like that. We're, we're working to bring unity in the body of Christ that really begins in the home but manifests itself in, in daily living. We're to protect elders, leaders, offices are to protect the church. Protect it from false teachers and false doctrine. To protect it from discouragement and, and sinful living. To, to, to protect the body of Christ from being defeated. We're, we're not to be a defeated people. We're to be a victorious people. But we, like David and, and like other men in the Old Testament, leaders, of soldiers, warriors in war, were able to lead with this vic, a victory mentality. You think about Gideon, who led 300 men, right? Against, I don't even remember how many, but a lot. And they believed that they could win because God was with them. I was reading recently through Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and one of the things, one of the phrases that continually jumps out at me was that God's hand was on us. We as leaders have to present a protection of the church a protection from, from the enemy, a protection from, from hurt or from pain from each other, a protection in, in many different ways, a protection from sin. 1 Corinthians 5 talks about church discipline, putting out of the church. Zechariah 10 and verse 2 says, for the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolations or they give empty encouragement. Therefore, people wander like, like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a, we're to protect the body from that. Lack of a shepherd. People are afflicted because there is no shepherd to guide them, to help them, to, to, to protect them. Like we do our own children. We're to protect and guard the church the elders, the, the leaders are, deacons, elders. The position of leadership is a position of protecting the church in some capacity. We're to nourish the church. Number three, nourish the church. The Bible says, and again, back in 1 Peter 5, it says, shepherd the flock of God. You might have a version that says, feed the flock of God. And it's the same meaning. It's not feeding them food. Our job is not to feed you food here, but, but each elder that is here should be feeding the word of God to the body, feeding you spiritual food, not necessarily physical food. The word means to feed, to care for, to comfort, to encourage, to challenge, to correct, to direct. The idea of it is, is to disciple somebody. Leadership is the discipling of people in the church. I think of the 23rd Psalm. I'm not gonna quote it to you, but there's a lot there. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have a shepherd. And here's the result of having a great shepherd, of having a perfect shepherd. I have no lack. That's what he says when he says, I shall not want. I have nothing lacking. My shepherds have made it possible for me to have nothing spiritually lacking. My shepherd has made it possible for me to be restful. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures means the shepherd has done everything within his power to make it possible for the people who are in his body to lay down. 
Do you guys, do we find it easy to lay down? Our job as shepherds is to make your life so focused on Christ and his capabilities that when you face whatever you face each day, that you can lay down and rest in the power of your mighty Savior. That's our job. We're to nourish you, to force you, not force you, but because we have supplied everything necessary in your life spiritually that you can rest in the sufficiency of Christ. May I submit to us that as we shepherd and lead the body of Christ, it should become more restful and not less so. He leads us beside still waters. He doesn't lead us beside rough waters. And he doesn't lead us to rough waters. The shepherd leads us to still waters. He leads us to calm waters. He leads us to safe waters. He restores or encourages our souls. When we leave church, are we encouraged? Are we uplifted? Because the leaders of the church have done such an amazing job that we can walk away feeling blessed feeling closer to God than when we entered the church. He provides comfort, care, and closeness in difficult times. You'll find that Jesus Christ in Psalm 23 makes an extraordinary effort to be close to his sheep in the moments of greatest danger. You will not find that same effort in Psalm 23 mentioned about the shepherd working to get close to his sheep except in the valley of the shadow of death. When God's people are in their darkest and hardest and most difficult moments, by God's grace, may we as shepherds come beside them and, and, and love them and care for them and compassionately encourage them. You see, folks, the, the, the role of a shepherd is a marvelous privilege to love people, to bless and encourage them in their difficulty. He prepares a feast in front of us while we're in the presence of our enemies. He anoints us with the Holy Spirit for battle. He says, he anoints my head with oil. And the picture is, is that when, a, when two sheep with, with horns begin to go at it, that they will put oil on their heads so that when they hit, they will ricochet off and it won't have as heavy of an impact on them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's what leaders in the church do. That's what we do. We're hopefully preparing you that Monday morning when you walk out into that world and you hit heads with another with another person that you ricochet off and it doesn't affect you, you're okay. You can keep on going. Listen, folks, that's what our job is. That's what the leaders of the church are called to do. We're to bless our people in this way. We're to encourage them with goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then we're to, care, we're to encourage them or confirm them with the hope of eternal life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The fourth purpose of the leaders in the church is to empower the church. It is to give vision and purpose, affirmation, encouragement, and commissioning. It is our job to, to present a vision, a direction that brings unity, that brings a, a, a one direction together. We function as one. 
It is to affirm and encourage people in their part in that. And then it is also to commission people as well. The elders at Grace Bible Church have have identified, and this was way before I got here, but they've identified that the goal of this church is discipleship. That's what we want to be doing. We want to be about it. We need to be about it. We need that vision to be locked in. He says, Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed by the world and they had no help because they had no direction. They had no vision. Mark 6, 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were without They were like sheep without a shepherd. What did he do? He began to teach them many things. This is our role. This is the role of leaders in the church today. If God is calling you into into one of those leadership, elder or, 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 or deacon, remember this. You have an amazing, amazing privilege and an extraordinary responsibility before God. You're caring for his sheep. Acts 20 and verse 28 says that he has actually given us the responsibility of caring for them. And and folks, listen, it's not this mindset of not letting them live. We don't raise up our kids that way. We give our kids extraordinary freedoms, don't we? And we help them on the journey. That's what we do as leaders in the church as well. We help people on the journey. Lastly, church offices or officers' responsibility. How do we accomplish this? 1 Peter 5 is our text. How do we get this done? Okay, first of all, how do we not get this done? He gives us a few things. He says, number one, don't accomplish this by compulsion. In other words, don't don't be in a position of leadership in the church because you have been been, um, forced to be in that position of leadership. I've heard it said before, well, we have a need for an elder, we have a need for a deacon, we just need to fill that need. The scriptures are clear, that's never a reason to fill that position. The the scriptures say against that. Don't ever be called into something you're not called into. Do you know what you create? when you're in a position that you're not called to? Does anybody know what you create when you're in a position that you're not called to? A mess. That was Ron's words. (laughs) I read his lips. That's exactly right. When you're not called, listen, God has people called. God hasn't failed this church. God has people called to be in positions called to be there. We don't need anybody that's not called to be forcing themselves like a, a, a square peg trying to be forced into a round hole. That's going to cause a disaster. I illustrated it the other day with one of my kids, the idea of putting a puzzle together and not having a piece and trying to cram another piece in there. You may get it to fit, but let me ask you this question. What's the picture gonna look like? That's what happens to the church. In many ways, we cram people in places and we look at the picture and we're like, oh my goodness, what is that? And the world looks at that same picture and says the same thing. 
Instead of putting the people, patiently working with people and putting the people where they belong and everybody in here has a gift and a place, I know that, the Bible teaches that. Finding that place and putting you there so that the picture looks beautiful. Everybody walks in here on Sunday morning with a smile on their face because they're serving the Lord exactly where the Lord has called them to serve him. There's nothing more frustrating, and I tell you this from experience, there's nothing more frustrating than trying to fulfill a role that's needed to be fulfilled and you're not gifted to do it. Don't do it by compulsion. Number two, don't do it for economic power, position, or prideful gain. Again, 1 Peter 5, he says, um, don't do it by compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Don't do it to get ahead. This is not the world. You're not going climbing up the ladder of success. This is God's church. This is God's economy. This is God's work. He will do what he needs to do, and he will do it when he is ready. Just be usable, be available, and he will bless you. Don't do it for gain. Don't do it, this is the last one about how not to do it, don't do it by domineering over the flock. He says, don't domineer over those for whom you are in charge. The word literally means to dominate, to control, to subjugate, to lord it over, to bring under, to subdue, or to overcome. Listen, if you're called to be an elder or a deacon, your job is not to subdue your people. They're not all idiots. Your job is to come beside them and work with them, discipling, uh, sharpening each other. I have, I have adopted one philosophy in my life, and I pray that you have seen this philosophy in my life. It is this. I am no better than anybody else out there. You can help me as much as I can help you. When I sit down and talk with you, I try to talk with you in such a way that I believe that you might say something that's going to benefit me. I want that. We're not here to elevate. We're here to congregate for the glory of the Lord. Not by domineering. Not by overcoming someone by intelligence, by power, by pressure, by manipulation, or by force. Leading is not seeking to overcome the flock, but it is to care, it is caring for the flock. And listen to me, folks, if you're called into these roles, know this. This is not John Prettyman's opinion. It comes directly from God's word. This is what God is calling us to do. It is to humbly walk with our people for God's glory and to help them as they go on their journeys. The Lord says this in Matthew 20, 25, speaking of the Gentiles, of the, he refers to the Gentiles as lost people in this context. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He's rebuking them. Don't do the same thing. That they, their great ones exercise authority over them. Acts 19, 16, and the man in whom the devil's spirit leaped on him mastered all of them and overpowered them. 
You say, Pastor John, why do you use that verse? Because it's the same phrase that's used in 1 Peter 5. It's the same thing. This is not, listen, folks, eldership and deaconship is not a power play. It's not a position play. How should we? How should we lead the church of God? How should we organize and structure the church of God? How should we accomplish our purpose? Number one is by example. That's it. Lead the people. Don't push them. Show them. Don't just tell them. The word literally means a stamp or a shape or a statue. It is, it is a model that you are to pursue after. There'll be people along the way that will fall off by the wayside. That happens, isn't it? But leaders in the church are not pushers. Leaders in the church are gatherers. We lead by example. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise thy youth, but be an example of a believer. We lead by humility. He says, clothe yourself with humility. An empty, the word literally means an emptiness of self. An emptiness of self, it means modesty. I, I used to illustrate modesty this way. I had a guy back in Nebraska, he was like Lou Ferrigno, right? And he always wore size extra small shirts. I mean, literally, he like wore his little baby brother's shirt. And I was like, I said, I, Micah was his name. I was like, Micah, Micah, that's not modest. I told him this. I said, listen, Micah, here's a, here's a lesson for you on modesty. Modesty is to have all of those muscles that you have and to put a really baggy sweater on. That's modesty. Modesty is to have all of this amazing strength, which we all have, right? But to have no desire to be glorified because of it. He could go out and use those huge muscles for a lot of good deeds, Right? but he's found getting girls to be more important than all of those good deeds, right? Being a leader in the church is a, is a modest, humble role and responsibility. Lastly, be careful, be comforting, and be compassionate. And I just wrote beside this Psalm 23. And listen, when we find our place there, folks, when each one of us finds our role in our place where God has, has positioned us, we will find ourselves honoring the ones that God has put over us. It won't be a battle for us to say, man, I'm so thankful for our pastors. I'm so thankful for our elders. I'm so thankful for our deacons. It will be nothing to find ourselves saying those words because the people who are in the right place and we're honoring them and we're glorifying God by honoring them. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. It's just a natural response to good, compassionate, loving, and caring leadership. So these are the offices of the church. Again, don't, mis don't mistake them or confuse them with the gifts. They're different. But know that they're offices in the church and they're there for these reasons. They're there to help, encourage, strengthen, come alongside of you. I know I've gone long this morning. We're not gonna have a closing song, Ron. I'm gonna pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for your guidance, your word, the gift that you've given us each day and the opportunity to serve you in your church. We pray that you would bless this 
sermon. I know it was long, Lord, but I pray that you would take some of these truths and minister them into the hearts and lives of the people that are here. We'll give you the thanks and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Lord bless you all. Thank you.